In order for us to understand highly complex issues of society and sort them out in a way that we can arrive at a comprehensive solution to the problems that we face today, we need a simple framework by which we can discern between imbalances of power, interdependent healthy relationships between the spheres of society, and when there is corruption, an abuse of power, and codependent relationships created within society. In order for us to shape and mold our futures, we must understand this one framework. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Before we get into the seven domains of society, the seven spheres of society, I want to mention and talk about my book for a moment, Anchored, The Discipline to Stop Drifting. I wrote this book in a time of my life where everything was drifting. I was trying so hard to reach my goals, my dreams, to be a change maker, to change the world, but I was falling short. And one of the principles that I came across during the time of reflecting on my life, of why my life was failing and hurting so bad, was that the more that I talked about my dreams, the less I felt motivated to actually pursue them. I learned in this season that actually shutting up and doing the work, rather than talking about and telling your friends how great you're gonna, telling them all of your gunnas, you're gonna do this, you're gonna write this book, you're gonna be awesome and great. I stopped talking about it because I found the more I talked about it the and the more my friends praised me or discouraged me, the more that I felt satisfied or discouraged to actually step out and do the things that were on my heart. So I wrote about in this book how I needed to be quiet and take action instead and let my actions speak for themselves. So if you are in a place where you feel like you can't quite sink your teeth into your dreams and your goals to take steps forward into the direction that you want to move in your life, my book, Anchored the Discipline to Stop Drifting, will be a great resource for you. Short, 100-page, highly actionable, filled with stories and principles, studies that will help you anchor your life to move forward and reach your dreams, goals, and destinies today. Now, back to the episode. This is the conclusion of the question that was asked by Aaron in episode 163. And we're going to hit on just the last point of his question. And here's the question again, in case you missed it. Another point that I wanted to bring up was that at the end of the episode, episode 160, where we talked about the difference between social justice and justice, you talked about how governments should not be in charge of helping people experiencing hardship, but rather that this responsibility should fall to the church or to the religious sphere. I agree with this. However, we have seen historically the church also act as the oppressor when it has enough power. The church acts as its own form of controlling government and often has been responsible for enacting 
the same totalitarian evils as secular government. Aaron, 100%. Whenever the religious sphere gets a hold of too much power and begins to essentially take over government, take over economics, and begins to overstep its bounds and domains of society, it does become the very totalitarian evil governments that we talked about previously when we were talking about totalitarian governments. Now, another thing that you might remember from our series on totalitarian states or totalitarian cults, I was explicit and very careful to make sure that I talked about totalitarian cults or groups and that it didn't matter the size. It could be a state that was billions of people large, or it could be a group that is five, six people. The ideologies of totalitarian groups are the same across across numbers, and you don't need a specific number or a specific form of organization for that organization to be totalitarian. You can have a totalitarian workplace. You can have a totalitarian family. You can have a totalitarian religious group. You can have a totalitarian government. So totalitarianism isn't locked into one segment of society. And I really liked what he said here because this is a point that I've been working towards to bring up in this series where we've been talking about justice and injustice, where we've been talking about uh, codependent relationships and interdependent relationships. And the, the point that I want to bring is that There are seven specific spheres of society, and each sphere has its own domain of responsibility. Just as I, as an individual, I have different areas in my life. I actually shared about this in a series starting back at episode 46 called Burn Your Bridges, Build Your Walls, and Defend Your Gates, where we talked about the different spheres and areas of Mesopotamian cities and how they had walls and gates and they had the the city court, the the city square, where these different seven areas of society would function within the city square. And in that series, way back in episode 46, we discussed how those play out in our personal lives and how from understanding ancient Mesopotamian cities, we can understand how our lives how to structure our lives in a way to have healthy relationships, healthy boundaries within our life. Well, those same seven spheres, those same seven areas that we find in our personal life, we also find in society. And just how as in our personal life, if one area becomes too big and encompasses all the other areas, let's say we just get so obsessed with money so obsessed with growing our economic wealth that we begin to sacrifice our relationship. We begin to sacrifice our health or or our rest. We begin to sacrifice our morality because one area has grown too big. The same thing happens when we look at the seven different spheres of society, whether it's religion, whether it's government, whether it's education, whether it's family, or whether it's business. When one sphere oversteps its domains of responsibility and begins to meddle and interfere with other domains of society to to garner and curry favor and power and then begin to control society, it becomes totalitarian 
in its nature. We've seen it all throughout history, and we're going to touch on some of those stories today. So what are the seven different spheres of society? In no particular order, they are religion, family, education, economics, which also includes science and technology, arts and entertainment, media, and government. These seven areas of culture and society, it is like a dance. There are certain steps, there are certain roles and, and responsibilities back and forth. It's, it's a dance of power back and forth, a distribution of responsibility and authority where not one single individual or one single sphere of society is able to control everything. But as Aaron pointed out in his question, when one group gains too much control and begins to overstep and to infringe upon people's freedoms, we always see atrocities and wickedness follow right behind. The example that Aaron gave was about the the Christian church and the atrocities that the Christian church has occurred throughout the, the centuries. When it has acquired too much power, when it has begun to abuse and become corrupted in its God-given role and domain of society. Now, it's not just the Christian church, but it is the religious sphere. When any religious sphere grows too large and oversteps its role and purpose in society, we will see corruption there. And as we see corruption there, we will begin to see oppression there where people's rights are trampled on, when there is, there's control and corruption within the political system and corruption and greed begins to come into the religious sphere. So it is not just Christianity that this has happened to through history, but this has happened for all religions across time. Whenever there is that imbalance, this occurs. So, the main example that Aaron pointed out, he's probably referring to uh, largely when Constantinople made Christianity the official religion of the state. So now look, here we have both government and religion coming together. And they're saying, hey, if we take religion and meld it into government, look at the power and the that we would be able to wield over the people as we merge this into one indistinguishable unit. Now, this later morphed into the Roman Catholic Church, where it was the the king and the queen were both the head over the church and the head over the state. Now, these, these corrupt, centralized units of power that were controlling both the government and the religious sector, they then had the power to introduce tax. They had the power to, the church then had the power to make and enforce laws. They set up their own judicial system. They took over economics, essentially creating this monopoly of power that was able to do whatever it liked in society without anyone to be able to challenge it. This is a danger for any sphere of society. Getting too large and melding in other spheres 
of society, domains of responsibility underneath it for that centralization of power. You could imagine what would happen if, let's say, a business like Google began to take over the education system, began to take over the government. What sort of power would a a corporation like Google be able to have? What sort of corruption and totalitarian action would a company like Google or Facebook or any other company for that matter, matter, IBM, Microsoft, Apple, if they began to essentially create their own governmental system, they would be able to wield so much power and so much control over society. And as that power corrupted the purpose of that corporation and the the place in the sphere of society that corporation was meant to operate in, we would begin to see some of the very same atrocities happen in that sphere as it took over other spheres of society. And arguably, we can probably see some of that happening today as business has now stepped into the media sphere and is beginning to control what people can and cannot say based on their agenda, rather based on truth. Now there's bias in it. Now there is an agenda that's connected to a political party within the mainstream media. That is, again, a, a codependent relationship. I need you to need me. And they're operating in an unhealthy manner to control the airwaves. Let's begin and take a look at the seven different spheres of society. And we're going to examine the bounds and domains, the roles and responsibility of each sphere and how the sphere can fall into corruption. What is the area that is its weak point that when this sphere starts operating in this manner, we can see, hmm, it's not operating as it's designed. It's not fulfilling its purpose. So each sphere, two things can happen. One, it can be corrupted in not fulfilling its purpose. And two, it can begin to abdicate its responsibility or it can begin to overstep its bounds and domains of authority. So the first sphere of society is family. Family, its its role is parenting. It's imprinting upon the children its identity, its morality. It's teaching and raising kids to grow up into adults. It, the, the family plays the largest role in educating their children. It is the parent's responsibility to make sure that a child has its education, has an ability to go out into the world as competent, rational human beings and be able to make a living. Often, families operate within a business. Family businesses make up most of the world's businesses. It is the main driver. Small family business is one of the main drivers of economy, and it has been for thousands of years. So family also plays a large role in business and the passing down of generational wealth. And we've talked about this, which is why Marxist 
totalitarian ideologies always attack family first because they do not want the family unit to be the main driver. They want the government to be the main driver because they want to displace the the central power of authority away from the individual and to the group so that they can take control over all of society. So the place that family normally falls short is when it is not imprinting its identity on the children, where it is not imprinting morality on its children, where it is not raising its kids up and caring for their education. When the family begins to abdicate that responsibility and give it over to other people, give it over to other spheres of society, we begin to see a decline in family health. Another thing is perversion. When there is abuse in the family home, when there is a a, a sexual perversion that is taking place, we will begin to see a decline in the family unit, and that is going to have a profound impact on all of the other spheres of society because the family is the most important function in society to imprint the identity of their children with something that is strong and healthy and moral. Now, where that morality comes from primarily comes from the religious sphere, whatever religious sphere it is, depending on the parts of the world, whether it's the Christian faith, the Jewish faith, the the Muslim faith, Buddhist, Hindu, Scientology, it is coming from the center of religion. Now, the role of the religious sphere is morality. It is reconciliation between brothers and between God. It is caring for the poor and the widow. It is charity and is healing. This is the role of the religious sphere in the earth. It is is very much one of caring for the poor. It's one of charity. It's one of bringing people in. And at the same time, it's the one that passes on morality, a moral code to the parents in the family so that they can imprint that upon the children. Religion Morality, that is the the main seat and one of the biggest drivers in society. Now, when religion becomes corrupted, maybe it falls into humanism and it begins to deny that the truth even exists, then we begin to see this rippling effect of a lack of morality across society. As I believe Dostoevsky wrote that once God is dead. Once we have stripped God and religion out of society, all that we are left with is immorality and corruption and evilness and wickedness, genocide, mass genocide and atrocities are soon to follow. And we have seen it in the USSR and in every other country that has set up socialistic totalitarian governments when they stripped God out of the equation. One of the main ways that religion can become corrupted is through idolatry. Now, idolatry can sound really weird. Like, what do you mean? Putting up a stone? It's no. It's when you put something else before God. So whether it's putting power or money 
uh, self-recognition, fame, control, when you're putting that before God, then corruption begins to happen. When instead of caring for the poor and working to, to promote reconciliation between brothers and families and people, when they begin to focus on money or power or influence rather than on service, then the religious sphere also becomes corrupted. And this is largely what we saw with Constantinople, where the government essentially enveloped religion and religion wasn't operating as it should be, which was the the group that pushed forward righteousness and morality in society, where the, the religious sphere was pushing forward charity and taking care of the poor. Instead, religion got swept up into the political arena and began operating in politics, which is completely outside its domain of society. Now, as I said earlier, all of these spheres are interdependent. Think of you as an individual. You as an individual, you are a person who is in a family but you also have some sort of job, so you're operating in business, and you have some sort of political government ideology, and that affects how you may, might vote, that affects the way that you interact. You also, at one point, had an education. So we, we move and step back and forth into these different roles and domains in society. It's not just one person is in one area. But all of these arenas, all of these spheres are interdependent when they're healthy. They are interdependent when they're healthy. And they say, I need you and you need me. So the government sphere does need the religious sphere. There needs to be some plumb line, some grounding, some sense of morality. But when they are melded into one, that's when corruption begins to breed and oppression begins to to happen. Likewise, the the family needs the religious sphere and the religious sphere needs the family. They work together. Moving on, number three, the third sphere is education. Teaching and preparation for entering the workplace is the core function of education. The education system is one that is to develop the children's minds, develop people's minds to one be able to see and think in the world analytically with understanding while at the same time having a profession a vocation to enter into the business sphere so again the business sphere and the education sphere they are working together they it's i need you and you need me but we're going to talk a little bit later after we finish this list of how there was a corruption between business and education before, instead of it being, I need you and you need me, it became, I need you to need me. And it became this unhealthy codependent relationship. So education can fall into corruption in many ways. One, education is to build people's frameworks to see truth to understand how do we view the world? How do we act in the world? How do we how do we have analytical conversations that are around empirical data? How can we analyze questions? What's the scientific method? How do we how do we go about discerning truth? But when those things become corrupted and lies began 
begin to perpetuate across the education system where we're no longer teaching people to think and teaching people to be hungry to learn. Rather, we're teaching them to be compliant. We're teaching them to be controlled by other people and say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Just blind obedience without any sort of analytical understanding. Then the education system can and does become corrupt. When the education system begins to seek out money as a fully in the business sphere, rather than upholding its value as an educational institute, it also becomes corrupt. We're going to talk about the education system a little more in just a minute. The fourth sphere of society is the economic sphere, which also comprises of science and technology. Think of the printing press. That was a massive scientific and technological advancement in history, and it caused business to boom. But look how it interplayed and interacted with other spheres of society. It greatly impacted the religious sphere, enabling religious materials to be to be passed out and, and created and produced in multiple different languages. It greatly impacted the education sphere where it allowed people to have mass access to books and publications, whereas before a single book would cost thousands and thousands of dollars. Now you can get them at a couple hundred dollars compared to a couple thousand dollars. The economic science and technology sphere greatly impacted all of the other spheres. Again, the economic sphere is tightly wrapped up within the family unit, within small business. It is crucial and critical to the economy. Now, if you remember, we, we talked about fractals a few times where we as individuals, we pretty much have all those spheres inside of us. And then we bump up to another smaller sphere, which would be family. Well, within family, the most, most of family actually comprises that business economic driver because of all that small business. So economics are largely tied to the family unit. Now, where does the corruption come in for economics? Well, you can guess what it is. It is the love of money. It is greed. We see that in the pharmaceutical industry where a new drug is created and there's great need and demand for that drug. And they are able to, the pharmaceutical companies are able to drive so high the price of that drug and cause people to have to pay an arm and a leg to get access to it. Greed is the corruption of the economic or business sphere. The fifth sphere is the arts and the entertainment sphere. This is where art, music, movies. This is where the massive shaper of culture. And one one of the things that I love about the arts and entertainment sphere is really it sits in the, the middle. If you remember the, the three different levels of abstraction, and the first level of abstraction is the objective realm, where we have things like a knife or a phone. In the second level of abstraction, 
we have this experience realm. This is where the the arts and entertainment exists. It is all in that experience realm. The arts and entertainment takes the morality and the stories that are in society. It takes everything in the objective realm and it melds it into meta-narrative or myth or story or song. Talking about struggles and issues that we are facing today, talking about stories of hope, parables to help us see how to move forward, how to discern our morality and our place within the spheres of society. The arts and entertainment is the culture engine of all of the spheres. And it's taking everything that's happening and it's spitting it back out in meta-narrative, in myth, in story that helps us in that second level of abstraction understand the principles and the moralities of the world around us. It is used greatly by the education sphere. It is used greatly by the economic sphere. Um, It is very much intertwined into all different levels of society. Now, the corruption that comes in to the arts and entertainment sphere is the corruption of seduction and it is compromise. It's when that sphere begins to compromise on its own morality, on truth. That's why, you know, in probably that sphere more than any other sphere, we see such um, sexual perversion. We see such sexual abuse go on. Um, You don't have to look far within pop music, pop culture, um, the movies that are coming out of this sphere of society, we can see the seduction and the corruption of morality really be put on display, where we can begin to exalt thievery and dishonesty, where we can begin to exalt um, uh, a, a sexual perversion. And so that is some of the big corruption that can happen Within the arts and entertainment, they begin to write a new morality story into culture, into society, which then leads, if the family, it leads to this, if the family abdicates their responsibility in imprinting and raising their children rightly, if they abdicate that to the television, to YouTube, to arts and media and entertainment, to the music industry, if the family is abdicating that responsibility and if the arts and entertainment industry is falling into compromise, well, now the arts and entertainment industry is able to greatly shape the minds of the youth and mold them into whatever they want it to be. Again, a small example of the bounds and domains of society. It takes one group abdicating their responsibility giving up what they should do and giving it to another group who's doing what they shouldn't do for their own selfish political power money gains. The sixth sphere of society is the media sphere. This is where news and information is going out. So you can think of the most major news syndicates, whether it's CNN, Fox, MSNBC, um, Al Jazeera, You know, these are the news centers of the world, the media centers. Now, media is meant to speak truth without bias. They are meant to 
report on the facts of what's happening in the world, to, to show people what is actually happening. When these media syndicates get corrupted and they become entangled with government or they become entangled with a specific business, all of a sudden there is falsehood that is going out over the media channels because they have a specific agenda, whether it's they're, they're wanting greed or they're, they're wanting more views, more viewership. Another corruption that happens within the media sphere is that they should be promoting good news. They should be promoting positive things that are happening in the world, not just bad news. But right now, the way the, the media syndicate and industrial complex is working is that people watch and click on bad news. And so instead of promoting peace in the world, they are promoting fear and anxiety. They are pitting peoples and nations against each other and oftentimes are entangled with different sides of the political party. And so instead of there being an unbiased reporting, an unbiased uh, information based in truth of what's happening in the world so that people can take that information and put it through their analytical framework, which they received from their parents and from their education, and then filter it through their moral framework, which they received from their religious background. Now they're getting fed biased data that's inundated with fear and anxiety so that the media can control and manipulate. This is also one of the ways that those spheres of society can overstep its bounds and domains of society. The seventh one is the government. Now, the government has three different areas. One, it's to protect its people. It's to have arms, is to have a military that's able to protect its borders, able to protect its people. This is under the government. That's where we see the fire department on a local level. That's where we see the police department on a local level. In the government, we see the legislative, the, the lawmaking of a nation, of a people group being made. We're the discerning, okay, what laws do we need to make to keep up with the changing times? What taxes do we need to put into place? That happens within the legislative area. And then there's the judicial, which would be uh, judging between two people, the justice system. That also falls within the governmental arena. Now, as we touched on in the beginning of the episode with Aaron's question, when the church, per se, overtakes the governmental arena, and now the church is creating the laws. The church is creating the military. The church is, or the religious sphere, is creating a system of judgment between people rather than the government. That's when we begin to see, again, corruption within society, injustice be carried forth rather than freedom and autonomy and liberties for all. So one of the main ways that government can become corrupt is one, pride, manipulation, and controlling, where they're trying to gather more power so that they can manipulate and control society rather than being servants. The, the government 
the government should not sit at the top of society, but actually it is a thing that sits at the bottom of society. It should be serving society. It should be a a service to its people through protection by a military presence to protect its people from invading forces. It should be a, a backbone of creating righteous and just laws that are carried out with equity for all people. And we talked about this in the previous episode where the U.S. government created unjust laws with bias and did not uh, did not uphold the moral fabric of society because it was above corrupt rather than being a service to all people with an unbiased nature with judging impartially between people. And then again, the government system is to judge between people when they aren't able to reconcile it themselves. When they've tried to reconcile it themselves, now the government can step in and there's a place for people to go, a service that people can go to that is serving the people as a backbone, not as an overbearing, controlling structure. When one of these spheres grows too large, too hungry, too greedy, grows corrupt, and then begins to either abdicate responsibility or take responsibility from someone else, that is when we begin to see lopsided, unhealthy, toxic, totalitarian environments within society. A great example of this is the education system. As I've said, the education system is in place to, one, help people have a analytical framework by which they can view the world rightly. And also, the education system is to equip people for a vocation to go into the business sphere, whatever that is, and create sustainable wealth for them. Also, the education system is most looked after by the parents because the family, the parents have the most invested worth and care for their children succeeding, not the government. So when the education system becomes corrupted, what do we see happened? During the Industrial Revolution of the mid-1800s, a gentleman named Horace Mann saw that we need more workers in our factories and our workers need to be compliant. They need to be able to sit and work for eight hours a day. They need to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Memorize all the right ways of doing things. Press the right buttons in the right orders. Up to this point, the school system was largely one-room schoolhouses where all the grades were clumped together. But Horace Mann said, well, this isn't gonna work. We're not gonna have a uniform outcome. These kids are being taught to think analytically. They're reading a lot of literature. They're learning to think and ask questions. And primarily, they're going back into their family business or into some entrepreneurial venture. But instead, we need them to come and sit in our factory. And we need them each to be able to do the same thing. So what if we do away with these one-room schoolhouses and bring them all into large rooms and separate them by age and begin to teach compliance 
and begin to teach memorization, teach them to be able to sit for long hours at a time so that we can have compliant workers in our factories in a few short years and so that we can teach these compliant workers to buy our products. Because if we're going to have a factory that's producing hundreds of genes a day, we need people to buy more genes. And so the education industrial ratchet began to move forward. And we lost, the family lost its domain, its proper place over the education system. So instead of the family being able to ensure that kids, their kids were learning how to think properly and how to gain a vocation that they can go into the world to make something of themselves, business stepped in and said, hey, I need you to need me and you need me to need you. And this alliance was formed between the education system and the business system in order to siphon thousands of students through the education system to create compliant workers to enter into their factories. Another way that the education system began to be corrupted, particularly higher education, was that as these universities began to grow, the government stepped in and said, hey, we can provide you with government loans. Now, if you think of what a loan is, it is a bank, a private institution, a business lending money to a party that would be able to invest it into an asset and then pay it back. A private business is going to look and say, will you have the ability to pay this loan back in the future? Yes or no? And they're going to evaluate that situation because they don't want the person defaulting on the loan. Otherwise, they are going to lose all of their money. So there's this checks and balances that's in place between a private institution when operating correctly, not with greed, and an individual. But when the government stepped in to the education system and said, hey, we can provide all of your students with student loans. Well, all of a sudden, a imbalance, a corruption of power came in because now there is an I need you to need me, a codependent relationship between the education system and the universities and between the government. The government is saying, I will give you, student A, free money, essentially. For an 18-year-old, it feels like funny money. You're going to university. You're not working. You haven't worked a day in your life. And the government's paying for you to go there in your mind. But you're racking up all of this student debt. And then the government says, and by the way, you cannot default on this student debt. So the government now doesn't care how much money they lend out or what profession they lend that out to. So if it was a private business, am I going to lend out $500,000 or $250,000 to a student who ends up studying dance theory? Mm, probably not, because I don't think that that person will make enough money in their future to be able to pay back that loan. They're going to default on that loan. Will I lend $750,000 for someone coming out of law school 
or someone coming out of as a, as a doctor? Yeah, because I know the profession that they're going into and I can guess that they will probably actually pay back that loan. But the government, they know that everyone has to pay back that loan. So they're willing to just throw money into the system. As more and more money gets thrown into the system, the universities are able to raise their prices higher and higher and higher and higher because the person that's footing the bill right now is the government and they don't care how much it costs. In fact, the more that it costs, the better it is for them because then they get more interest over time. And the student doesn't realize what they are getting into, the relationship that they are about to be locked into with the government, which the relationship is something that the government wants because the government wants the individual to be dependent on them. So all of a sudden, we see a corruption in the education system because, one, the industrial revolutionary complex where businesses stepped in and said, we need compliant people. So now the education system is pumping out people who can't think rationally or can't think analytically or can't solve problems. Instead, it pushes out people who can tell you the right answer and sit for eight hours straight and be good, compliant students. And the government stepped in because it said, hey, there's money and power and control to be made here. And the family stepped back and let everyone else do the work rather than taking care of their children and ensuring that the education system was operating right and that their children were making the right decisions moving forward. In the course of this series, starting back at episode 160, we have been talking about really frameworks by which we can view and understand society and our relationships in a healthy way, understanding how do they all interfit with one another. We began with talking about the difference between justice and social justice, which really opened a door for us to talk about boundaries interdependent and codependent relationships, uh, rights versus entitlements. We talked about how we need multi-variable levels of analysis. We talked about three levels of abstraction. And even today, we talked about the seven different spheres of society and how anyone, any sphere is able to become corrupt and totalitarian in nature when it oversteps or abdicates its bounds and, and domains of authority in society. What we've been talking about really is that framework. How do we have a framework to see and understand the world by? And that is what we do at this show. That is what we talk about at this show because we need to see the world clearly. Today, We are so desperate as a generation. We're desperate to make this impact. We're desperate to change the world. We're desperate to be known, to be famous, to make our dent on the universe. But it is more important that we understand how to see the complexity of the world that we live in. It is more important for us to be able to discern truth, to be able to reason, to be able to understand in an empathetic way, what is happening in the world around us. We need to know where we are and where we're going and all of the intricacies that connect us to where we want to be. We have 
to see the world around us rightly. It's like a map. If you and I want to make an impact, it's like being able to drive from point A to point B. We know where we want to go. It's impact. It's changing the world for the better. And we know where we are, which is like, it's not good. But in order to move from point A to point B, we can't just drive in any direction and think that any action that we do is going to actually make the world a better place because we live in highly complex systems. It requires us to have a map, a grid of understanding of how to see that highly complex system, how the highly complex system fits and works together. And that then enables us. Once we see, once we understand, once we can can know what is happening, the arguments, the philosophies that are in the world, once we educate ourselves in that and we can see the world rightly and clearly, then we can slowly, step by step, begin to see the world change for the better. And that is what we do here on the show. It's how do we build a framework to operate and live in the world, to be able to see the world rightly so that we can make the decisions to navigate us to our destinies, to the things that we were born to do and create. That is all for this episode. I love hearing from you. If you have any questions or comments, please WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero, and I will answer your questions and maybe answer them right here on the show. Remember, you are a change maker who discerns truth, who knows the environment and the world around you because you have a framework that you can operate and work with. So go out and own the future. 